You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. If you haven't dropped in and joined us in a while, you know, we are a show that tries to uh, highlight the challenge that people have when they get into roles of authority or roles of responsibility, whether you're a company founder or entrepreneur or whether you're in a larger corporate setting and you've been selected to jump on the management train. There are challenges along the way, and my mantra is we all can do something to be better leaders wherever we are, whether it's at work, at home, or in the community. There are plenty of chances to show up and stand up as a leader for something that's going on in the world around you. If we all spend a little time exploring what it means to be a better leader, then I think the world's going to be a better place. Today, I've got a guest that's going to help us do a little more in that, to that end, I should say. His name is Zach White. Zach, welcome to the show. Doug, what a privilege to be here, man. Thanks for the invitation. You betcha. Zach and I met through a network we're part of, of uh, thousands of podcast hosts and guests. And maybe it's not a thousand yet. Maybe it's still in the hundreds, but uh, it's a great group of folks that uh, have uh, are very much like-minded and come together. But something that jumped out at me when I met Josh, uh, Josh, Zach, sorry, I just got off a call with a guy named Josh. <laughs> it's I'm all gonna, right, man. I'm going to have to. Four letter common names, Doug. Reset it's the all gears. good. <laughs> reset the gears. Um, but uh, Zach comes from what is now popularly known as the STEM world. And Zach, I'm going to let you level set for us and, and remind everybody if they're not familiar with it or don't know it, what is the STEM world all about? Yes. So the STEM professionals know exactly what we're talking about. But for those who don't, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and in some cases you'll hear STEAM, which includes architecture in there as well. But these disciplines that are often associated with your very analytical, very logical, introverted stereotypes of people. You know, it draws that that crowd on the whole. We're painting with a broad brush, but tend to approach career and life with a lot of common themes and overlap. And if you just imagine, you know, a, a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young engineer coming out of Purdue with his mechanical engineering degree, with all the ambition in the world, Doug, that that was me back in uh, 2008 when I graduated from Purdue Boiler Up. And so that's where I got my start. Well, and, and you're right in that STEM mindset, so to speak. In, in fact, alluding to the call I just got off of, I was actually helping a client with some personality assessment. And one of the things we talked about, he, ha he too happened to be an engineer. We, we talked about, he kind of looked at his personality assessment and he said, do you think my engineering training has driven this personality? And I said, no, I would argue quite the contrary. I said, I think your personality created a fertile soil for your engineering to thrive. And he, he thought a minute and he goes, 
that's an interesting take. I guess I never would have thought about it that way. And I pointed out a couple of things in his personality profile. He said, well, of course, you know, ding, ding, it makes sense that I would be going that way. And the other thing I'll interject is in my own work with STEM type people and professionals, everything is about process or as our Canadian friends say, process. That's right. hundred percent. And systems, process, habits, you know, having a structured approach to life that is absolutely characteristic of all my clients and you know, not everybody can resonate with that, but the truth is, Doug, you know, we all need a bit of both, regardless of where you're at. If we want to talk about, you know, structures and systems versus creativity or artistic, more spontaneous approaches, we all need both sides of that coin to really deliver at the highest level. And maybe that'll come up today, but absolutely. My, my, if my wife were here, she'd give a hearty amen that uh, systems and process is a big part of my life and experience for sure. So if I understand it right, you are no longer in an engineering type role, but you, in fact, have created a, a coaching platform, coaching business. What, what was the journey to get you from one to the other? Doug, I mentioned coming out of Purdue with a lot of ambition, and that is true. I got a great role at Whirlpool Corporation, a leadership development rotational program, one of their top talent intake programs and just started doing the same thing that I had done my whole life. And I tell my you know, clients now, I only had one strategy for success, and that was to get smarter and work harder. That always worked in school. And I just applied that in my career lens and just mm -hmm. said, let's just keep hustling, keep learning. And the problem with that, Doug, is I also got married right out of college and started picking up all these new responsibilities. And oh, by the way, they don't teach you a lot of the things about career building in school. They teach you how to be an engineer. And after about five years, I woke up and found myself completely burned out. I was going through a divorce. I was depressed. I was embarrassed. And yes, I'd had some success at work and, and how couldn't I? I'd put all my focus and energy there. But at the end of the day, going through that rock bottom experience for me, Doug, none of that mattered. I would have traded all the promotions and paychecks to just be happy again. I mean, I was very, very disappointed with how my life had gone. And coming out of that low place, I hired my first coach. And I told my coach then, like, I still want to be successful. Like, I screwed up sure, bad. Sure but I still have a vision of success in my life. I'm not done. I mean, I'm very young still. I was still in my twenties and it's like, that is all still here, but I need a new strategy. Like there has to be a different way to do this. And I worked with my coach on career development and personal growth and did some work on myself that I had never even imagined or heard of before. And a lot of it was very foreign to me, especially as an engineer, but being coached transformed my life. And I experienced massive success, five promotions in five years, doubled my income, got whatever I wanted was happening for me at work. And I was having more fun. You're working less hours. I got remarried. My life was just going awesome. And there was a point in 2019, Doug, where I just realized as I looked around that there were, you know, dozens of engineering leaders right there around me at Whirlpool, but hundreds in my network that I'd talked to who were struggling with a lot of the same things that I had completely failed at 
and learned the hard way and just spent the time then to crystallize and distill all of what had worked for me into this model that we now call the lifestyle engineering blueprint. And I left my career, which was honestly on a fantastic trajectory because I found my my purpose, my calling to go and take this to the engineers who need it and, and leaders at all levels, especially when you get into those first management positions where the pressure really builds from above and below and said, you know, I want to help you not experience those rock bottom moments I did. And that's how we got to doing coaching full-time today with my company, Oasis of Courage. And it's been growing really fast. I mean, the demand is there. There's a lot of burned out, frustrated, stuck engineers and, and you know, STEM professionals in the world. And, and that's where we specialize. Well, uh, kudos to you for making that pivot and realizing and, and most importantly, uncovering that sense of purpose and passion. And as you're describing that, I, I couldn't help but reflect on some activity that, that I participated in. And many of my listeners have heard parts of these, this story before, but also in the 2008 time frame when um of course the country and the world were was going through the great recession yes unemployment had gotten into double digits and a lot of people who had never before had to look for a job were put out on the street and had to go job searching i started a nonprofit to help coach those people and at first the small group i pulled together to, to form this thing we strategized about teaching the traditional toolkit i'll call it you know how to write a good resume how to learn how to interview right. better those sorts of tactical things but as soon as we ran through our first hundred or so participants in our program i quickly realized the the real secret sauce or the superpower in in being successful for that effort was helping people find their purpose yes because when men or women either one who had been career oriented lost their jobs quote quote they lost their identities Mm -hmm. They were just shells of human beings walking in our doors, coming into our program uh, and totally lost and uncertain about what to do next. So we augmented our program and we front end loaded it with some exercises and efforts to help identify that sense of personal purpose and get a definition. And as soon as people locked in on that, the the tactical stuff with the resume and working on LinkedIn and doing interviews and all of that just really fell in place. But but the amazing change there was when 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 each of us is able to identify our sense of purpose, the energy we can bring to the game is off the chart. Mm -hmm. And and you can do great things, anybody. 100%. Doug, I'll just, you know, double down, amen, thousand percent agree with everything you just said. And purpose is the first pillar of our model. You know, the, the foundation, you can imagine it's like a, a little house is the, the model that we call the lifestyle engineering blueprint. And the foundation is your mindset. But the first pillar that holds this house together is purpose. And a lot of engineering and, and STEM professionals don't really want or have a sense of need, like I should spend time clarifying that because it's very soft. It's very fluffy. It's very emotional and, and kind of difficult to put words to. And it's something that 
doesn't feel like it's related to the results we want in our life? Like, why do I need to have this life purpose statement crafted and really go deep on my core values and these things in order to get promoted to director? How is this related? They don't see the connection at first. But I always encourage them, just trust the process, right? Like we've done this with hundreds of leaders. It always makes a difference. Trust the process. And by the end, when they finish our program, in many cases, you know, they get these promotions, they have the result. And I ask them, which pillar made the biggest difference to your transformation in this coaching? And 90% of the time, the answer is purpose. And so just to double down, like you're absolutely right. And one of my clients, Mauricio, this guy, super successful. You know, senior manager at Spotify at the time, had a great job. Most people would envy what his life looked like, but he had lost his sense of purpose in his career. And he didn't see it that way. He didn't know that language at the time. He right. just knew, I'm frustrated. I'm burned out. I don't see a path forward. I don't even know if I want to be an engineer anymore. It got to that level of like indifference. And when we worked through this process, like you described, of really connecting deeply to his his North Star, his purpose for life, it was like a light switch. And you could hear his own story on our website. He says, you know, it's like a thousand percent shift in my relationships, in my career energy, and everything I was getting changed overnight because I realized I'd been living outside of my purpose. And as soon as he woke up the next morning and said, today, I'm going to show up aligned with that, everything changed for him. And, you know, the results have spoken for themselves. He's since moved on to Meta. He's got a huge job there. He's had twins. He's happy. It's just awesome. So listen to Doug. He knows what he's talking about <laughs> when it well, comes to purpose. So so let's, let's add to that. So, you know, you also alluded to this whole idea of not just your job and career, but everything else going on in your life, marriage, kids, family, et cetera. And... You know, for for a long time, we've talked about giving lip service to, and in many cases, give effort to this idea of creating and maintaining work-life balance. And I'll interject again, many have heard me say this before right here on this very show. I One of the several things I have focused on coming out of the pandemic was I don't use that word balance anymore. I, I think the reality is what we look at as our work and our life and essentially just our human-centric whole that we are, W-H-O-L-E, whole, we, we have to think in terms of harmony. We have to harmonize everything that's going on with us, whether we're at work or at home talking and relating to our spouse, our kids, our extended families, etc. It's a it's a harmonizing effort, not a balancing act. Doug, there's a saying in engineering that all models are wrong and some are useful. And the model of balance, you know, it, it implies in our mind like a scale you know, there's, there's these two things in competition with each other. We're trying to get just the right amount on both exactly. sides of the scale for it to be even or the, this idea of balanced. That's the kind of mental model that's created when you say, hey, how's your work-life balance? You know, you're running this subconscious program to say, well, what do I think? Is my work in balance with my life? Well, what's the measure of that, Doug? Is it hours? Like, 
that's really tough for most people. You're going to work a lot. It's difficult to have the same number of hours with your kids as you have at work. You know, that's unlikely for most people. And so, well, is it, is it energy? Like, well, how do you measure that? You know, like <laughs> it's really difficult. Right. And, and that's why we get so frustrated with that model. And I, I like the word harmony. I think that's great. And another visual, another model that I use with my clients is to imagine a wheel. And, and each dimension of your life is like a spoke on that wheel. So you might have, you know, your work on one, your finances, your, your marriage, your, your kids, your other relationships, you know, family and friends, um, your hobbies might even show up if they're really important to you, your faith, your health, all of these things, right? And everybody's going to have a different list. I have a core seven that we work with our clients on, but you might have others. And what I ask people to do is just say, hey, ask yourself, honestly, how satisfied am I in that area right now? Just just quick anecdote. Don't overthink it. Just p- pick a number, 0%, like a zero out of 10, or am I a 10 out of 10? I'm crushing it. Like I feel really satisfied in this area. And if you connect the spokes, you can imagine drawing a picture where you you kind of draw a little right. dot and then and connect all the spokes. You don't get a circle very often, Doug, right? You get, you right. get something that looks kind of crazy. And what happens is these areas of our life where we have low scores, if you can imagine putting that wheel on the car of your life that you're driving down the road of life on, you get these big bumps every time the wheel comes around to that thing. So as long as I'm at work, and this is Zach White's story, I just told you, right? When I'm at work, I'm a 10 out of 10. I'm crushing it at work. But when I come home, my marriage is a two out of 10 right now. And I feel that bump Every time I come home, I'm unsatisfied, I'm unhappy. And so that to me is where this harmony, or if we want to talk about whole life balance, whatever words you want to use, that's where it becomes so important. It's just that willingness to say, all right, this area of my life needs attention, or it's going to continue to steal my joy and my energy every time I bump on that thing again. And so it it deserves your attention. Or you need to cut it out of your life, like and just say it doesn't matter. I- I'm done with that, and get it right. out of your your life altogether. But generally speaking, that's not what we want, and so th- that's the way we approach this idea of balance at, at Oasis of Courage, my coaching company, is to say, look, you might only spend 30 minutes a week on that thing, but if that's the thing that's a one out of ten and it's causing you a ton of heartache and heartburn, that might be the most important 30 minutes of your whole week. So let's get that right. And then we can move on to the next thing. Yeah. And and that touches on a, a really important principle that I certainly advise all my clients to consider. And that is, if you are in a leadership role, you have to have that wheel rounded out so you're not hitting those drastic, severe bumps along the way. Because if you don't have that figured out, you are not going to be able to show up and be your best self for the team you lead. I love that. Yes. It, it, it's just not just, uh, and back to the engineering, you know, the math doesn't work on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. And nobody wants to report to that person where one day you come in and they're super friendly and kind and and coaching you and supporting you. And the next day you come in and they're grouchy and angry and they, they're really against you. It's like, whoa, whoa who, who is this person? That creates a, a lot of fear on the team and a lack of psychological safety to be at your best when you cannot 
predict what your leader is going to be like every day. And so that rounded wheel, it's not just for your own quality of life and experience, but it's how your team experiences you. And they need that sense of consistency to know how you're going to show up every time, right? And, right. and when you're all over the place, you're going to get all over the place results from your team. Right, right. Well, and that's that's equally similar to another principle. And for those that know it, the um, uh, Maslow's hierarchy speaks of this progression of of human experience. And we start out; we have a baseline, a foundational level, if you will, of of sheer survival. I mean, go back, think caveman days. You know, fire, food, and shelter. If if we don't have that, we're we are literally fighting for our lives and our our mere existence. But if you can solve that, you can move up a level and you can start thinking about building relationships and you know having that close knit. And then you go up beyond that, you have this broader sense of yearning for tribe and community and collective effort and then you go on up a couple of rungs and that's where we get to this thing that he called self-actualization we're actually maximizing our potential and capacity what i talk to leaders about is the fact that you live up and down that ladder of of the hierarchy day by day depending on what's going on in your life and your people are living that too so even if you've got your wheel nice and balanced and harmonized or rounded out, let's let's uh, let's work on getting rid of that balance thing. You've got your wheel nicely rounded out, but now you're leading a team, and all of a sudden George or Sally out there, his, who's been good a good steady performer, shows up one day and is way off the game. You you can't just criticize and critique and unload the bricks on them, but you got to ask the question, uh, what's going on? Anything you want to share? Anything you can get me to help you with? Uh, you know, what what's happening? Yeah. Doug, I like the insight. I think it's important for people to hear what you said there, that sometimes we assume because, hey, we, we live in the USA or in a you know developed country and I have a nice house and I have a great paying job that I'm always and automatically in the upper levels of Maslow's hierarchy. Like I'm in the self-actualization phase because I have a great relationship. I have a great job. Like that's where I'm always at. But but the truth of our experience of life is not that way. Many times your nervous system is back into a fight or flight survival type of mode because of what's happening in your environment and in your world right now. You don't feel safe because of something happening at work or something happening, you know, at home or whatever. And so that's really a good insight to recognize just because the truth is your basic needs are taken care of. You're not going to go home and be hungry tonight, but you might still be operating in a survival mode because you're afraid you're going to get fired. And so just to recognize that as a leader within yourself and you'll get coaching for yourself if you need it, but also when your team shows up, you know, with a bump on their own wheel to have some grace and recognize not everybody's going to be living in peak performance mode all the time. Something can trigger this survival instinct and people won't perform well in that place. So I think that's really important to recognize, like, you don't just move up the rungs and stay at the top. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. You're, you're 
perpetually bouncing around. Well, and proof in point of the concept, uh, on the waning days of the pandemic lockdown, I had an executive I was working with and his company was struggling as many did with the whole idea of return to work. You know, what do you tell your employees about coming back to the office? And we all know that the vast majority of populations said, hey, it worked good at home. Why do I have to go back to the office? You know, let's don't do that. But in this particular case, through a lot of circumstances, and I'm not going to name names or cities to shame anybody because that's not my intent, but some of the social unrest and things that were happening, the downtown area where this company's building was, was literally not safe to walk on the in the light of day you know mugging and yeah. other things yeah. were going on so not only were people a little bit leery of of the whole health crisis with covid still uncertain but they literally didn't feel safe parking their car and walking into the building and <laughs> so the company right. was having to embrace that and say well, what can we do about that? Because for sure, we want our employees to be safe. But employees were had fallen all the way to that bottom rung on the hierarchy. Right. No, I'm not even going to be safe to get out of my car. I could get mugged. I could get accosted. You know, who knows what could happen? So it, it was very clear and present danger for them. It's a great example, Doug. And of, of course, tragic. You hope that doesn't happen again. But right. yeah, these things do happen. <laughs> Right, right. I know. Well, let's um, let's let's get back to that a little bit about the the STEM mindset for moving into leadership and and looking at progression and career advancement and such. What what are some of the other hurdles and areas where you help people? Well, Doug, I think the starting point for most STEM leaders is that as we advance in our careers, we need to open the scope of what we focus on beyond just the technology, the engineering, the, the work. And most of us who come from this world, and I think it's also human nature for any discipline, you know, we want to be rewarded at work for the great results that we deliver. You know, I, I delivered great results. I did the project well. I helped the company. We we got to the deadline on time, and and I should be rewarded for that. I don't get the bonus or get the promotion because of the great work that I've done. And the tricky part, Doug, is a lot of times early in your career that is how it works. When you go from a low level IC individual contributor position, and you might get that first promotion or even second promotion. A lot of times, it is on the merit of the technical acumen and value that you bring on the work itself. And then we hit this point, whether you stay as an individual contributor or go into management where you have teams under you, it doesn't actually matter. It's true in both cases, where the expectation of the organization is that you will influence not just the project, but the people, that you will lead not just technology, but the talent. And and it's difficult for a lot of STEM professionals to really take that seriously. And you'll see Many of them get promoted into management roles and they want to treat leading the team the same way as leading a project. Right. And so turning yourself into a leader when you come from this heavy bias towards process and systems and ideas, things, you know, engineers especially, we, we like to think 
in terms of ideas and things, not in terms of people and emotions and values and you know th- this whole other domain. So we're an IQ-based mindset rather than an EQ or emotional intelligence-based mindset. And so that's the first hurdle as you think about from the start to one day being a, a C-suite level leader that most STEM professionals get stuck on is recognizing that strength in math and science and what your guidance counselor told you to go be an engineer and all that was true, but you can only go so far purely on the back of technical acumen. And if if you want to have a big impact and if you want to then get the roles and opportunities that come with that, you have to start developing yourself as a leader on the people side as well. So that's hurdle one. You know, two things come to mind on that. One is the basic premise. I often, when I uh, first begin an engagement with a with a leader that I'm I'm coaching with, we talk about the difference between management and leadership. Just to itemize it, and uh, I, I'll let them feedback what what their impressions are, and then inevitably they'll ask me, "Well, Doug, you know, what do you think it is?" And the statement I hang my hat on is a simple one. It says management is about process and leadership is about people. And, of course, we can spin off from there and uh, launch from there and and go into a lot of other discussions. But the second thing that comes to mind, I've told this story here before. I was asked to deliver a two-day workshop for first-time managers at a large engineering and construction company, Global Brand. Okay, okay couple of years ago and so we they set it all up in an offsite and we had this nice ballroom kind of thing with great amenities and good facility and all that about 60 people in the room who had you know brand new selectees to move from individual contributor up to management supervisor and the company had a really nice program book that we were reading from and I delivered the first hour and a half two hours of content introducing them to the principles of management and expectations from the company. And we took a break and there's this line that formed at the podium. And very first person that was in the front of the line said to me, if this is what it's about, I don't want to be a manager. Who do I need to talk to about going back to my engineering job? <laughs> and I, I'm kind of sitting there and I'm, I'm an outsider and I'm kind of, oops, uh, i tell you what, why don't you wait over here? Let me get you an answer. Let me see what everybody, well, you know what? The whole line was there for that reason. Same question. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, kudos to you, Doug, for, for laying it out in a way that somebody could actually distinguish the contrast of, you know, what I was told that I should want in my life, which is to move up and get the next promotion versus what I actually want. And, and in many cases, you know, a leader will get to that. Maybe we talk about the Peter principle or whatever, but sometimes it's not about their ability or competency. It's, do they have a genuine desire to go do that kind of work and to develop in that way? And, and you're right. A lot of engineering leaders end up in positions where they realize I have to become a new person to be successful here and to love this. And I don't, I don't want that. And so I'll just say, there's no shame in that. Like kudos to those people for having the courage to come up and say, Hey, I'd rather go back and figure out a different way forward than take this thing. But uh, knowing yourself, man, that's important. (laughs) And you know, here we were talking about what blocks STEM professionals from growth. Well, I, I would say you could put number two is we don't invest the time 
on personal growth and development, creating clarity within ourselves, because all leadership begins with self-leadership. You know, and and the thing, so as we progress up the ladder, you know, you you become a manager, you understand what's a leader, what's a manager, we get better at these things, you get that senior manager role, you might land that director role. Well, the thing I see at director and above, Doug, and I'd be curious your thoughts if you've seen this as well, is the focus comes off of continuing to develop myself. It begins to go on, how do I develop everyone else on my team? And everybody starts focusing outside themselves on how to become a bigger in- impact and influence in bigger ways and more advanced strategies or tools. And now like, I need to get crucial conversations deployed in my company or wh- whatever. They start focusing on that stuff and they've stopped doing the work on their own mindsets, their own personal growth, their own identity, their own, <clears throat> you know, and, and suddenly they're building more and more responsibility on a foundation that's still at manager level, but you're a senior director. And then they wonder why it all comes crashing down. And Right, so. right. Well, and uh, two things that come to my mind on the, the whole idea of, of making that evolution into management leadership and back to the principle of leadership is about people. Yeah. I can't tell you, of course, I'm based in the Houston area. We obviously have a tremendous focus on oil and gas and energy right. down here. Not that that's the only leg on our stool of economy down here, but uh, it's a big part to say the least. And the work I've done with the big oil and gas companies, when they do internal surveys, it's interesting that one of the elements that frequently bubbles up is employees at every level of the company actually respond by saying, I wish my boss was more relatable. Mm. And so go back to the whole fundamental stereotypical STEM personality, right? but, you know, analytical, somewhat impersonal, possibly um, introverted those aren't natural people people you know and 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 again i'm i'm not at all being disparaging and please no one take it that way but it's just a personality thing and to be put into a role of leadership where you need to be thinking about people you probably aren't you're going to stay focused on the task focused on the project or the science or the technology that you're responsible for and to your point, you might even be investing in learning more and growing more on the technical side, but not doing the people work that you need. And you you become this isolated voice that people wish they could relate to. Yes. And the, the irony in all that is that that factoid, that finding is true at every level of the organization. Every level is looking up saying, I wish my boss was more relatable. Yes. I'm not you know, surprised at all to hear that in any engineering organization or, you know, like-minded departments, because again, you know, when you have a strong IQ, when you based your career success on your intelligence, this kind of discover your strengths and leverage your strengths culture that has been popular in development circles, which is great. There's a lot of value in discovering and leveraging your strengths. I don't want to dismiss that, but we tend to think as engineers, we can solve every problem with our intelligence. And so you take a people problem, you know, my employee comes to me, they're unhappy or they're confused or they're frustrated. Well, 
instead of seeing that person as a person, I, I see the person as a problem. You've come to me with a problem. So let's dissect the problem, find the root cause of the problem, figure out what actions we need to take to solve the problem, put timing to those actions. And it's like, all that's fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with that behavior, except for this one little detail. Oh yeah, there's a person sitting in the room with you <laughs> and, and people don't wanna be treated like problems or anything on that IQ side for that matter. They still wanna feel like they're being treated like a person. And so, Doug, I think 100%, you know, the more we can get technical leaders to balance their IQ with EQ, and, and on the opposite side, functions of the business that might really, really lean on an EQ world to be open to developing their, their IQ side and approach, not to say they're not intelligent, but to think in that way, that balance really, really helps. And sometimes that also means getting a mix of people in the room together, you know, get those right. EQ strengths mm -hmm. people in the room with your IQ strengths people and help them learn how to collaborate so they can check each other and really make sure we're balancing, but yeah, here's that word balancing. I don't have to be careful, but but just integrating these two sides, right? So that we get the best result, right? Well, the other thing that I've observed and I've heard it spoken time and time again, the the more senior leaders of these heavy STEM oriented organizations, when they do wind down, retire, step away, take on advisory roles, whatever you want to call it. They, without exception, will tell you that the ultimate contributor for success in their long-term career was not the technical element or technical talent they had, the, or in your word, the IQ they possessed, but it was the relationships they built along the way. And that that has been a finding and a and a report out that has been true one hundred percent of the time in and I'm speaking of hundreds of leaders that I've had the chance to work with and and talk to so as you I've seen it drawn out in studies as you go through your career path, your journey is less technical and more relational all the way up the path as, as you go forward. Because if you advance through the different levels of a company in the, lead, in the management leadership chain, you will hit an inflection point where the expectation is that you become more of a strategic thinker than a tactical delivery person. Right, right. Yeah, Doug, the challenge for most of us is finding those really high leverage activities where you can stay sharp on the technical acumen you need to be able to create strategic direction and vision for the organization. You know, I think engineers really do have it difficult in that if you don't keep up to some degree with what's changing in technology, then you do lose the ability to create a powerful strategic direction. And so there, you can't completely ignore your field of of study. And I think that's an important point to folks. Like it's not that Doug and I are saying, hey, you graduate from college and then you never have to study, you know, your your technical skills again. It's all EQ and all people from there. That's not the case. You, you do need to keep up because you won't have the ability to lead at that high level if you don't have a sense of what it is. But how do you approach it differently, Doug? That's the point, right? You don't need to be a master of writing millions of lines of code anymore, but I do need to understand what is the trend 
in software development, what kinds of tools are being released? What are the capability of these tools? How do they change what's possible for our teams? You know, the, and that's that really, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's tough, right? There's why only certain people make it to the top because you need both. You need those people skills, the relationships, and you need to be able to see and predict further down the road than people who are in the forest, in the trees, doing, doing that day-to-day work. And I think that's where a lot of people just, that's why we need coaches. That's why we need help because dancing back and forth between, okay, how much time and energy do I invest in learning about AI versus time and energy that I might invest in becoming a better leader? Well, at some capacity, if you want to be CTO of a big tech company, you do need both. And so you know, how do we balance that out in terms of our investment of the precious time we have? Those are not always easy decisions to right. make. But um well, and, and I think the risk that we all suffer psychologically is the the path we've been on that, that got us some early levels of success. So generally, the tradition is, you know, we pick our frontline supervisors based on best performers as individual contributors. Right. So we, we get this psychology going that says, hmm. I got picked because I did all that, so I just need to do more of that and I'll get promoted again. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy to be that way. And the ultimate risk is, and, and I've seen this play out, again, I'm not picking on them by any means, but I'm just saying it's, it's, it's an unscientific observation that I've had for many years. That STEM professional who does get success because of their technical knowledge continues that journey. And at some point, they may become guilty of showing up as the so-called proverbial smartest guy in the room. You know, they're always going to have a new a new element to contribute, a new point of discussion. And they're to the detriment sometimes of the work team because People are just tired of hearing them talk, you know, it's like, come on, you know, and uh, I told the story of one executive I had who was struggling with his senior leader who turned out to be that guy, that proverbial smartest guy in the room. Very frustrating. And um, I challenged my guy. I said, well, is there any way do you think you can just confront him one on one? I know he's your boss. But can you have a discussion that goes something like this? And I'll just, I'm going to make up a name and, you know, hey, George, do you realize that you show up as the smartest guy in the room in every discussion we ever have? And and I'm going to give you credit for that. You are. You, your stuff is brilliant. I mean, it's, it's, it's undeniable. However, from a team standpoint, it takes all the air out of the room. Mm-hmm. And... We as a team, when we bring you something, we get talked to death and everybody shuts down and it's over. And, you know, is there a better way we could do this going forward? And so my client kind of gulped and said, well, I think I can do that. And so next time I saw him, I said, did you get a chance? And he said, as a matter of fact, I did. And it was amazing. I said, what happened? He said, I presented it pretty much word for word the way you gave it to me. And he said, I thought the guy was going to cry. He said it crushed his soul Mm -hmm. to realize he was affecting people that way. Yes. And he said, absolutely, we will change this. 
because I love what we do. I love who you guys are. I, I, I am a team player, and I am so sorry if I've never made that clear to everybody. And, and sure enough, he did. He began the journey of he shared his brilliance, but he always left the door open for other contribution and other discussion. I love that story, Doug. And as a coach, what I believe so wholeheartedly now, and I see it all the time with these engineering leaders who work with us, is it's the gap that exists in our lives between what we consciously know we want in how we would show up or how we would lead. You know, if you if you pull George aside and say, hey, George, what kind of leader do you want to be? Independent of a meeting where he showed up as the smartest guy in the room. Doug would tell you, or George would tell you, you know, hey, I, I want to help my team be better. And I want to, I want them to respect me, but I want them to know that I respect them too. And, you know, Doug would tell you really good things. But these subconscious patterns and habits, the ego, the, the limiting beliefs, the fixed mindsets, all this stuff that we show up to our lives with from a, you know, decades of conditioning and sometimes bad habits or, or even a good habit from a previous chapter. It worked then. It's not going to work now. Well, those things show up and derail us. And, and then we're frustrated because what I, what I want is this, but I just don't realize that this is what's happening because it's automatic. It's subconscious. It's just the way we do it. And if it weren't for that direct report to have the courage to have the hard conversation and show you then you would never change the behavior because it's it's literally happening on autopilot. And I tell my clients all the time, there's no shame in the fact that we don't always do what we want to do. <laughs> like right. That's the right. human condition. We're all doing things that if we could zoom out and watch the movie of our lives, we'd be like, oh, why did I do that? What was, what was happening there? But we don't see it for what it is. And that, that's why coaches and, and people around you who can call you out and shine a light on things like this is so powerful because let's face it, we don't all have direct reports who are courageous enough to come and tell us those things. They're just going to take it home and complain to their spouse about it, or even worse, complain to each other about it and, and creates this divide or this lack of engagement. And then we're trying to push this thing uphill and it's like, why is it so hard? So Doug, I, I mean, awesome story. And I could tell you a dozen more just like it of our clients, but I think it gets <clears> the point across. Yeah. Well, Zach, this has been great, and thank you so much for sharing. And and I, I'm going to put a punctuation point. I love your call out that uh, for leaders of any kind, it doesn't. It's not limited to the STEM world, but you you do have to find that right connection between your IQ and your EQ. And I I can't say I've ever heard it quite put that way. So I thank you for sharing that with us. I think that's a great, and again, we're going to stamp out the word balance. We're going <laughs> to, but it's the correlation and connection of those two to come together and harmonize for, for the best outcome. Yes. And Doug, I'll, I'll land with this last thought. It's not that IQ is intelligence and EQ is emotions. This bothers a lot of engineers. It's like, I don't need to be more emotional to do a better job. That's not what it is. It's, it's IQ is a form of intelligence. EQ is emotional intelligence. It's, it's also a form of intelligence. It's learning how to apply this side of leadership in life about human 
you know, human behavior and, and treating people as humans and understanding the emotional side of life and being able to use that in a way that helps to better the results that matter in life. And so sometimes people don't like that message you just gave of, hey, we need to connect these two sides because I don't want to be all soft and fluffy and emotional. No, no, no. We're, you don't have to become an emotional person and like show up in all these highs and lows. That's not the point. You need to build intelligence around humanity and emotions, this other side, so you can use that effectively in your career. Yeah. Well, we we could go off on another whole tangent with that, and I, I <laughs> better guess stop. Do, Doug, in, stop in, me now. In, in the <laughs> sake of closing this down, I, I am going to refer everybody to a, an episode just prior to this. A few clicks on uh, we did a whole episode on emotional intelligence. The guest was a gentleman named David Corey. He owns an emotional intelligence training company that's been around for about twenty years, and he's. A, a real powerful leader in that field. If you want to learn more about that, check that check out that episode. But Zach, in the in the spirit of uh, helping everybody out of here, what's the best way people can get a hold of you if they want to know more about your work? Thank you, Doug. So easiest thing, wherever you're tuned into this amazing podcast, I have my own show. It's called The Happy Engineer. Doug mentioned at the beginning, you know, how we got connected through a podcasting community. So if you're in the STEM professions and you want more specific content about how to build your career in that place where you're at or start a company in this world, by all means, go check out the Happy Engineer podcast or thehappyengineerpodcast.com if you want to uh, jump onto the website. But also, Doug, just an invitation. If someone wants to get with me one-on-one -on -one and have a deep conversation about where you're at, if you feel stuck, if you're frustrated and you want some coaching, uh, as a thank you for listening through this amazing conversation on Doug's show, I'd be happy to give you a free coaching session. So if that's something that interests you, uh, just grab your phone and text the word lifestyle. Just that one word, all one word, lifestyle to the number 55444. It's one of those short codes, lifestyle to 55444. We'll get you some information. We'll ask a few questions and then get you on my calendar. I'd be honored to have that conversation. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Zach. And folks, all that information will be in the show notes as always. And this is the place in the show where I'd like to remind everybody, if you are listening on your favorite streaming service, we do have a video of this great episode over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I have opened a membership community over there if you want to consider some special perks and privileges that I've put up for people who follow the show. Go over there to the YouTube channel and check that out. Just clip, uh, hit YouTube, punch the button that says membership. You'll get all the information about your choices and opportunities there. So for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.